My name is Ursula James and welcome to episode one of Petrified Voices. In 2010, I wrote a book of magical realism called The Source, which was published the following year by Random House here in the UK. It was then taken up by an American publisher and soon after it was translated into French, German, Italian, Swedish, Russian and Japanese. In this podcast, I'll read from the book, but I'll also talk about what has happened since then and how I feel about the contents of the book and the different ways in which it's been received around the world. In some countries, it was published as philosophy, in others as non-fiction or self-help. Still others placed it firmly in the spiritual category. For me, what was really interesting is how different people received the book because many who read it recognised elements in common with their own experiences. And yes, I do realise that with any book, the readership is a self-selecting group. But the responses to it varied so wildly, I sometimes wondered which book they were actually reading. In this podcast, as well as reading the story, I talk to some of those readers as well as others who create and use their inner voices in a positive and powerful way. I'll also be chatting to people who are working their way through the book and using it for their own personal development. So it is your choice. You can either just listen to the story or if you are intrigued about any of the other stories that lie behind it, you can listen to the bonus episodes where you can eavesdrop on the conversations, listen to the interviews and hear updates on what has happened since the book was first written. I do hope you enjoy it. Prologue, the first lesson. Have you ever wanted magic to be real? I mean, truly real. For there to be a force of nature which could transform your life into something amazing? It exists. It lies dormant until you read the words of power and let the magic loose into your life. Make no mistake, the words will change your life. You will become part of the magic, one with the source, and you will meet others who are magical creatures too. It took me a lifetime to accept the magic into my life, and now it's part of me. I have no choice but to pass that knowledge on. That's part of the deal with true magic. It must be shared. My name is Ursula James, and I hypnotise people for a living. I'm a successful therapist, good at what I do, and... I believe, well respected for it. I breathe the same air that you do. I live on your world, but not in it. I'm successful not just in my career, but in my life too. I had a good teacher, although for my first 13 years I did not pay attention to her, and it took another 20 before I was prepared to listen again. By then, I had undergone my own learning and was ready to hear and understand her words. Mother Shipton was my teacher, my healer, my guide. She'd come to me in sleep and in dreams, but it was only when I learnt how to hypnotise myself that she came through to me fully formed and separate from my own inner voice. I can tell you now, that was a very strange day. I was in hypnosis, preparing myself for work, when she started to talk. Now, it wasn't that I hadn't heard her before, because she'd always sort of been with me, it was more that I'd tuned her out of my thoughts. When we're children, 
we're open to the voices. We're open to the impressions of the air around us. We use our senses fully until we are taught not to. As we grow, we stop listening and close our senses to the world around us. You may think me odd, but this book is not about your thoughts. I care for your feelings, your needs, just as Mother Shipton did, just as she still does. It's through me that her story will be told, and you will start to hear her voice. If you are open to the magic around you, the magic of the earth, true, deep magic, that which lies in the belly of all of us. That's why I'm writing to you now, to tell you how you can reclaim your magic. I can see into your hearts, just as Mother did. You want your power. You want magic to be real. It's just that for now, part of you is afraid. Afraid to connect. Afraid to plug into the source. And I know that there is nothing to fear when you do. You can and you will be free. Through my voice, Mother will teach you. Mother is with you. I am with you. The simple steps and paths which you will discover in these pages will lead you to the source of your power and help you to harness it. Believe me, now I stand within the source, you will know when you've connected to it and the power will never leave you when you've brought it back to you. For there is your first lesson. The source is within you. And without you, it dies. First, you must recognise its existence, find it within you, then nurture and strengthen it. Only then can you start to use it. And when you do, you will be free, free from the chains of commerce that you believe bind you, free to give and receive love, to heal the world around you and to make things happen around you. That's true magic, to take the clay of your life and model it in your hands. Above all, you'll have the strength in mind and body to share the source with others. It's not an easy journey, but I can tell you that it's worthwhile. Before I listened to Mother and connected to the source, I lived a different life, as far from full as the difference between a grainy black and white photograph and actually being there. This is where my story begins. Death. I thought I knew it all. Really, I did. I was working hard, I was doing well professionally. So what if I didn't have a partner and my friends didn't invite me out anymore because I was too busy? Well, that's what life can be like in London. That's what happens when you get successful. So I spend my way out of registering the feelings that were growing inside me. Feelings of darkness and loneliness. Feelings of pain. I would take myself out of London and sit on a beautiful beach in Thailand or India and try to be real. It was an effort, all of it. I was no longer in my own head or my body and I'd lost respect, all respect for myself and sight of where I was going. It didn't matter where I went because I went with me and I started to detest it. 
The inner voice of self-loathing grew louder and louder until I felt as if the whole world must be able to hear the battle going on inside. I walked the streets of London. I sat outside in the freezing cold with my latte and newspaper. So self-possessed, so chic, so dead. It took a number to change it. The number for me was 40, the age I was about to become. I didn't want to be 40, anything but. To me, reaching that number without children or a partner in my life, without love and people to share with, felt like a failure. I made it professionally, I was doing well. I was good at what I did, people seemed to respond to me, but it all felt a bit empty. I wasn't rich enough to give up work, nor was I at the top of my profession, close but no cigar. Any victory I could claim felt hollow and brittle. I knew that if I was brave enough to look forward in time, I would see my life progressing on the same course for the next 40 odd years until I was old, worn out and bitter. At best, I could cultivate my oddness, my eccentricity and make a virtue out of it, as if I had chosen it. Really, I had. The worst of it was, I could feel that bitterness already. I could taste it in my mouth like bile. I felt unhealthy and bone-weary. So what I did was I took myself up to a Buddhist retreat in Scotland. I usually did a spa each year. It'd be good to try something different for a change. What I hadn't bargained for was the cold. God, was it cold and so gloomy. Everything seemed grey and squashed beneath the sky. Surely this was a mistake. It was supposed to be summer, for goodness sake. I remember looking around at the people who were there with mild disdain. What was I doing? This place wasn't for me. No soft towels, no bubbly spa, no elegant food, no alcohol. And the people, well, there was just no one here to connect with. No one from my world who could be useful to me when I got back to London. No point in networking at all. Oh well, I was here now. At least I could catch up on some sleep thing was, I wasn't going to be given the chance, because this was spiritualist boot camp. I woke on the first day to join the walking meditation group. At least I'd opted for a silent retreat, so I wouldn't have to communicate with any of these dreadful people. I dragged myself out of bed and joined the end of the snake of people making their way into the forest. Pissed off and shivering, I followed instructions as a female voice whispered in my ear, step only in the footsteps of the one who walks before you. Her own feet were sandaled and dirty. When I looked up to see her face, she was gone. I started to walk, well, stomp would be more accurate. I walked like a grumpy child head down and arms wrapped tightly around myself. It took a while, but gradually the feelings of irritation started to wear off. 
and I began to take in my surroundings, making a game of placing my tiny feet into the tread made by the boots of the man in front of me. It was like when you're little and you avoid the cracks in the pavement because you know that if you didn't step on them, you could make something wonderful happen. Little rituals that calm you. When did I stop doing that? In my musings, I walked straight into the back of the man before me. We'd stopped walking and I hadn't noticed. He turned around and reached out his hand to steady me. It felt rough and dry, like the bark of a tree. He smiled and turned his back on me again. It was the weirdest feeling. I just wanted to cry. I wanted to take his hand in mine and carefully drop the tears into his palm. Oh yeah, I was sure of it then. I was definitely starting to lose the plot. And the sooner I got away from this place, the better. I needed to go back to London now. That was it. I'd go home and everything would be all right again. The snake of people set off again and the path got steeper. I was getting tired. My legs were starting to ache and I wanted to cry. This was too ridiculous. When we got back, I would find someone in charge and they could arrange a taxi to collect me. I could not stay here any longer. I walked for hours and hours until the forest started to give way to rocks and heather. The air hurt my lungs. I couldn't think properly. I tried to list out all the things that I was going to do when I got back home to London, but the thoughts wouldn't come. I was walking in a dream now. The words faded and my mind became blank and empty. My body went on to autopilot. Nothing else mattered except to keep walking. I concentrated on the footprints and time passed without meaning. I wanted to cry so badly now it was beginning to hurt and I just couldn't think why. I did try. I tried to remember where the pain came from. And why it was so urgent for me to leave this place. And I couldn't remember that either. It felt like hours had passed. But by now, I had no way of telling. Finally, I looked up. I had left the forest and I was alone on a hill. I had walked halfway up the mountain. I could see the tiled roof of the retreat down below me and felt the strength of the mountain rising behind. I sat down on a rock and I cried. I cried for myself and for the life I felt I had missed. I cried because somehow I had lost the path. 
I cried because I was alone and I hadn't noticed when it had happened. I cried ugly, unselfconscious tears, the kind that mark your eyes the next day and leave you looking like a frog. I cried until I was exhausted. I slept right there, curled up in the heather like an animal. I could feel the wind on my cheeks and the clumps of heather pushing at my body. I slept until the rain woke me. Big, fat drops of rain hit my face and I began to laugh. Sitting up, I could see the sun dropping away on the horizon, red, splattered clouds around it. The sky was really beautiful, so beautiful. This was a beauty I could never capture with a camera and take home with me. This was nature's show, vast and unique, and I was the only spectator. I know it sounds like a cliché, but it was true for me on that day. For the first time in my life, I felt connected to the earth, every part of it. I felt different, but I still didn't know quite how different I was. Walking back down the hill, through the path into the forest, I knew that something had changed inside me, and I thought this change was something I could carry back into my old life, as if the visit to the mountain had been no more than an interlude. If I had known how different I would become as a result, I might have thought twice about coming back off the mountain. Hindsight's a wonderful gift, and as I read my words, I notice that all I talk about is my thoughts. Had I thought about how different I would be? But this had nothing to do with my thoughts. My thoughts were irrelevant here. My feelings had driven me up the mountain. And my feelings drive me now. This was an old lesson. One mother had tried to teach me as a child. But education was all that mattered to me then. Education, education, education. I bought into the lie and I forgot how to feel. No matter. The lesson got learnt later on, that's all. I came down the mountain cold and hungry and ready to feel. I washed quickly and made my way into the eating room. Food was shared out in silence and I looked for my companion from the hill. He wasn't there. For some reason, I felt disappointed. I wanted to communicate with him, to smile at him. Instead, I looked at those around me on that long worn table for the first time. A woman to my right smiled at me cautiously. I smiled back and touched the back of her forearm with my hand, pointing over to the bread with the other. She gestured to the other side of the table and the bread found its way into my hand. I smiled over at her and dipped the rough bread into my bowl of soup. Do you know, the food that day tasted like nothing I can describe to you. I could taste the love 
with which it had been made, the care with which it had been served, the friendship with which it had been apportioned out to those around the table. When the meal was over, I picked up a tray from the sideboard and started to collect the empty bowls and spoons. The woman sitting opposite me did the same. Someone picked up a cloth and wiped the table. Another started to sweep the floor, brushing the remaining crumbs out of the door. I started to wash the dishes, then halfway through was gently moved aside as someone else took over. Every task got completed. No instructions, no words. There was a gentle rhythm to it all, like birdsong, seemingly without structure, but somehow complete and beautiful. I returned to the dining room, then walked through it to the heart of the building. A large, round room with an open fireplace. People were already gathering around the fire. Some were reading. Others looked into the fire with eyes half-closed. I found myself an armchair away from the fire so that I could sit in the shadows. I didn't want light or conversation. But I didn't really want to go straight to my solitary room. I wanted to be around other people to feel them. My eyes started to close and yet again I could not hold on to a single thread of thought. It was the strangest sensation, like floating in a salt lake with no sense of your body. But this feeling I was losing was my sense of self. For some reason that didn't bother me, although a small past voice dressed in a suit told me that it really should matter. I blew on the figure and she disappeared, as if made from mist, my old self suited and serious, brittle and fragile. And if I wanted to be brutally honest, a bit of a pain in the arse. She had to be right, had to be in charge. She always knew best. And I decided then and there that she really needed a rest. Not a break, but she needed to be put to rest. She deserved it. That much was certain. So I took her back up the mountain and let her sleep. There on the mountain where she could be safe and free. I surrounded her with summer sun and flowers and let her hair grow long and beautiful. I dressed her in a long velvet dress, like a princess from a fairy tale, and I put her into an enchanted sleep. All this while dozing in the shadows, unseen and unheard. I stayed until the fire burnt out, and I knew that she was safe on the mountain. That night, I slept so heavily, I slept on a narrow bed with hard, scratchy sheets. I slept better that night than I had in the finest hotels in the world. And when I woke, I felt alive and awake and ready to do 
things. Yes, I know, do things is a little vague, but that's all I could think of that day. I didn't have a plan, just lots of energy. So I cooked and I cleaned, I swept leaves, I dusted and polished the bookshelves in the library. I felt as if I'd been wired to the national grid. This continued for the three days of my stay. Each night I slept soundly and without dreams. Each day I worked on whatever needed doing. By the end of the three days I knew all of my companions by name. Well, names I'd given them anyway. Blue hat. Aztec scarf. Bell earrings. I wondered what they called me. I never did find out. By the third night, new faces arrived around the table and it was time for me to leave. The next day, I cleared out my room, bundling the sheets up, and I took them down to the laundry. With his back to me, I recognised him. It was my pathmaker. I handed him the sheets and he opened his arms to me and held me without words. I looked up into his face. He had beautiful blue eyes, crinkled all around with laughter, clear blue eyes like the sky over my old self on the mountain. He released me and turned back to his work and I left for London. The journey back by train was uneventful. I turned on my mobile and I let the world come back in. Lots of voice messages, lots of emails. I must be important. I turned it off again and spent the rest of the journey staring through the window. Back home, nothing had changed. And oddly, that surprised me. I had. Okay, I know. It's one thing to have a spiritual experience when you're away from home. Then you have to deal with reality, your reality as created by you. That was the thing, really. I was still living at her house, wearing her clothes and living her life. Not only did it feel wrong, but I wasn't even sure if I could pretend to be her anymore. It was as if by leaving her on the mountain, I'd also left her way of doing things behind me. And I didn't have a clue what I was supposed to do now. I only knew what I didn't want. I did not yet know what I did want. So I did the only thing I could do, and that was open her diary and see what she was supposed to be doing that week. It was a busy one. It would be. She had hypnotherapy clients booked for the entire week. That meant... I wouldn't see daylight until Saturday. So I got on with it. I dressed in her clothes, spoke her words, comforted her clients. By the time Saturday came, my head was stuffed full of other people's sadness and grief, anger and pain. I needed to decant it and quickly. So I decided to do some self-hypnosis to tidy up my thoughts. Saturday morning came. I lay on the bed in the sunlight from the skylight above me and closed my eyes in preparation. And that is when Mother came to me. Fully formed, 
loud and clear and in glorious technicolour. Morning, she said convivially. Ready to listen now? enjoyed episode one of Petrified Voices. If you want to hear more, you know what to do. Please be kind enough to subscribe and join me on this journey to the source.